Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. My name is Elijah, and this is John, and uh, we're just super excited to be able to share with you this morning, uh, and it's a very, it's a privilege for us to, to be here. I just want to share a little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in a family uh, who loves music, and uh, everyone in my family is a musician, and it was, uh, that's just essentially kind of the vein that I, I went down. I, I myself... Uh, was mesmerized by the instrument of the drums. Watching someone play the drums is amazing, especially when they're really good at it. Their hands and feet are moving at different times. So naturally, I wanted to play the drums. So I began to learn, began to give myself to it, began to practice, and there was only one thing missing, though, for me, and that was an actual drum set. Uh, So naturally, I... I wanted to get a drum set so that I could truly be a drummer. And uh, I do this all the time even now, but I set my sights fairly high on something when I, like I, when I want it. It's like, man, I want that. And uh, man, I set my sights super high as a kid of what set I wanted. I even printed off a picture of the set and like plastered it on my wall so that I would look at it and be like, I'm gonna get that set. And so then came the, the other issue. I needed money to buy this set, which my parents wisely said, start saving. So I did. I mowed lawn after lawn after lawn. I, uh, I did anything, anyone, would, I would clean up trash. I would, I would help paint houses just so I could get the money that I needed. And for three years, for three years, I saved every single penny, and I put it in the safest place that I knew as a 12-year-old kid, which was a shoebox under my bed. And uh, every cent I put in there, I'd look up at that picture and be like, I'm going to have that set one day. So after three years, I had the money, and I went and purchased the drum set, and I went home, and I put it together, and I cleaned it, and I played this kit from morning Tonight, and I think my parents may have regretted letting me get a drum set after that, but I loved this drum set. I loved it. I, I, it brought me comfort. It brought me joy. I was fairly protective of it. I mean, I, 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid that, you know, hey, if, if you're not a drummer, please, please don't touch my drum set. Uh, even though I wasn't very good. It's like, whatever, okay. Uh, but I was protective of it. It was something that I loved. And this even happened when, when I moved from city to city. I don't know if you did this when you moved places, but before I even set up my bed, I set up my drum set. And I played my drum set. And this is some, something that when I felt angry, I'd go to my drum set. When I felt sad, I'd go to my drum set. When I felt happy, I'd go to my drum set. I went there because it brought me joy, and it helped me. Now, I moved to St. Louis, and uh, something changed for me. I met a girl. I met Anna Miles. 
And I realized pretty quickly I wanted to marry her. And without a second thought, I took a picture of that drum set, I posted it on Facebook Marketplace, and I sold it because I wanted to buy a ring to propose to this girl. And reality is, I encountered Anna, and it made me want to give everything just to be with her. Now, I think we all have that one thing that we would give everything for just to have it. I think there's a reality for all of us that some of us didn't hang out with friends in high school so that we could study, so that we could get into school that we wanted to. I think there's a reality for all of us that uh, we would move across the city or across the state or across the country just to have a relationship with someone. We would give up uh, the, our integrity to have that job promotion or we would take out a way too big mortgage just to have that dream house that we wanted. Or even there's a, maybe there's certain causes or charities or injustices or a political party that we partner with and we, we voice our uh, loyalty to them by taking a bumper sticker and slapping it on the back of our car or we ask our friends on social media to give to the charity uh, for our birthday instead of giving gifts to us. We all have that one thing that one person that we would give everything for just to have. And I think this parable in Matthew 13 is no different. And Jesus is communicating one very, very clear message to us. The message that both the farmer and the merchant found the treasure and the pearl and moved by great joy, sold everything they had just to have the the field that the treasure was in and the pearl that was like none other. And the question that comes to my mind is, what would be so valuable that you'd give everything for, that you would change your entire life for? I, I think 15 minutes before the farmer uh, found the treasure, uh, he probably didn't have a thought in his mind like, I'm, I'm gonna sell everything I have today just to buy this field. The question then comes back, what, what did he encounter that with giddy joy, with this joy, he would sell everything just to have, he encountered the treasure. I think the same thing's true for the merchant. Merchants probably just looking at pearls, doing their job, looking at pearls. Oh, that one's good. I'll keep that one. That one's not. I'll throw that one out. But something happened for the merchant. The merchant encountered the pearl like no other. So who is this treasure and this pearl? It's Jesus. Jesus, the one who with great love for us made us alive. Jesus, the one who took our debt that goes deeper than the sea and canceled it. Jesus, the one 
the one who gave us everything, even though we had nothing to offer and Jesus giving us life, even though we didn't deserve it. He gave us eternal life and Jesus, the one who rescued us and saved us and gave us everything in heaven. Jesus, the one who, as we sang today, with goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Jesus, the one who took my place and gave me grace and in mercy and goodness and righteousness and purpose. This treasure is the one. This pearl is the one. And I think in John, in the gospel of John, in chapter 12, there's a beautiful story that I think really relates And it's this picture of the disciples lounging at a table, eating dinner together. Jesus is there. They're listening to Jesus. Martha is busy getting dinner ready. And then Mary shows up. And Mary kneels at the feet of Jesus. And she begins to pour an alabaster jar full of oil on Jesus's feet. Now this isn't your typical cooking oil. This isn't uh, canola oil or avocado oil or whatever oil. This is expensive perfume. It's actually the same word used to describe this oil is the same word that's used to describe the pearl in verse 46. It's exceedingly expensive. It's her nest egg. It's a year's worth of wages that she saved her entire life for. She kneels at the feet of Jesus and weeping, she pours out the oil on his feet. And it wasn't tears of sadness. It was tears of joy as she poured out everything she had, her her fallback onto Jesus's feet. She encountered a great a great, greater treasure than the alabaster jar of oil. And with pure joy, she poured it out. Just like Mary in John 12, we, we see that she encountered the treasure and everything else was considered as loss. When the two men that we saw in the verse sold all that they had to purchase the field and the pearl, The joy that they had encountered, that was the engine of change in their life. The cost of selling everything really didn't seem like a cost to them because of the joy they had in the treasure. And that's the joy that we can find in Jesus. We're called to a life and a joy that is so, so much more than a dead religion. We aren't called to follow a list of rules and regulations. We're not called to follow a list of do's and don'ts to you know, follow the, the, the handbook and the, the, the guide, like follow the, the checklist. We're invited into a relationship, a relationship with the one that conquered sin and death, the one that took all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our brokenness. Jesus, as Elijah mentioned, Jesus calls us to come to him. The Bible describes him as the bread of life and the giver of the water of life, the one that sustains us, the one that is all that we need. We're not called just to simply follow some rule, but to have eternal life and life in abundance. Jesus says he wants us to abide in him so that we might have joy and joy to the fullest. He doesn't want us to have some sort of partial joy, maybe one that's dependent on circumstances, maybe one that ebbs and flows, but he wants us to have a joy 
a joy that overflows, a joy that is rooted not in our circumstances, but in an eternal hope. There's freedom, there's deliverance, chains are broken, and the power that the world and sin had over us is broken in Jesus' name. So our joy, it's rooted in the foundation of what Jesus did on the cross. The last book in the Bible is is Revelation, and spoiler alert, it tells us how everything's going to end up. It says there will be no more tears, no more crying, and no more pain. So the joy that we can experience in Jesus today is pointing to that eternal victory and that eternal hope. The aim isn't just salvation or the aim isn't to make it into heaven, but it's to aim to know Jesus himself, to be in a relationship with him. And it's clear that to follow Jesus, we need to really grasp hold, not just of that joy, but to count everything else as loss in comparison. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul really understood that reality. In Philippians, he wrote, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish or trash or garbage in order that I may gain Christ. And let me tell you a little bit about Paul and where he was when he wrote that. Paul was one of the premier evangelists and apostles of the early church, but he wasn't always that way. He had a resume at the time that so many people would have been proud of. He had the accolades, he had the training, he had the the education. Little Jewish boys would have wanted to have been just like Paul to have received the opportunities and the training that he had. In our world today, that would be like going to Yale. It would be like getting the job, the, the big job with the corner office. It would be being on the Forbes 30, under 30 list or for those who are a little older, like some of us, maybe 40 over 40. <laughs> Paul had made it by all benchmarks of the time. And maybe some of us here, we can relate to that. We went to that great school. We got that great degree or the great degrees. We have that high level job. We come from a great neighborhood, a great family. We have certain accomplishments. We're all to some level trying to build that resume, trying to reach those goals. And that was the truth for Paul until he met Jesus. Paul didn't even know that he needed Jesus. In fact, he was actively persecuting people that followed him. But on the road to Damascus, and you can read this account in the book of Acts, on the road to Damascus, Paul had a supernatural encounter with the risen Jesus. After meeting Jesus, Paul, he wrote many of the books in the New Testament in the form of letters to various churches. And he was the author of this book of Philippians, which arguably is the most joyful book in the Bible. It contains the word joy in various forms over 16 times, which might not seem like very many, but then you realize that the book is only four chapters long. And this book, this book wasn't written while Paul was kicking back on the beach or hanging out with the boys. This book was written while Paul was in a Roman prison. So he had every opportunity, every reason to be in a pity party, to write Lamentations 2.0, you know, focusing on his woes and his struggles. But instead, he chose to focus on the joy of God. He had encountered Jesus. He had encountered that pearl. He knew the value. So he focused on that joy. That's where he wrote that verse, that everything is considered as garbage. Being in the 30 under 30, that's not important anymore. 
the teaching, the training, the education, it counts as nothing compared to his encounter with Jesus. Now, Paul, it's important to know, Paul isn't saying those prior accomplishments are useless, but just that they don't compare, they don't measure up to Jesus. He's not saying that they're inherently bad. He's not saying, I wish I hadn't done these things, but he's saying they're not the treasure. They're not the pearl. Having a good job or a good education isn't bad. Having a good house, enjoying good food, that's not bad. But there's something so much greater. And God's inviting into that something greater to swim in the deeper waters rather than just paddling our feet in the little kiddie pool. Paul is letting go of something so that he can take hold of something greater, so that he can take hold of this pearl just like Mary let go of that perfume in the jar. Everything for Christ was counted as joy for Paul because he knew Jesus. He had encountered the joy, encountered the treasure, and he knew the hope he had in him. It isn't as much about what we're willing to give up to gain the kingdom, but that the kingdom of heaven is worth losing everything to gain. I'll say that again. It isn't about what we're willing to give up to gain the kingdom, but that the kingdom of heaven is worth losing everything to gain. It's worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship. And when we know the treasure and the joy of the gospel, we joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. So the focus in the parables we read, it's not about the cost that these men gave. It is about their joy. It's about the wonder of the treasure they've discovered. So Jesus isn't calling us to be destitute. He's not calling us to necessarily physically give everything up, but he wants our hearts. He wants our attitudes and he wants our lives. However, that translates into action. We're called to renounce all that we have, all that we are for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. So each one of us, each one of you here today, have you encountered this joy of the treasure of Jesus Perhaps you've been searching, you've been striving like the merchant to find something of value. Maybe you're just wandering through life, just trying to figure out what this thing called life is all about. Archaeologists and treasure hunters often don't know the value of what they're looking for until they find it. They might find this little trinket, this bit of pottery. Until they find it and see it, they don't know the worth of what it is they have. So if we haven't met Jesus, or if we haven't experienced his joy, this can all seem strange but all of us have something in life that we find joy in so what let me ask what do you go out of your way to prioritize what would you drop everything for I know there's been things in my life even recently where I've had to check myself because the wrong thing has been becoming my treasure it's not been a bad thing necessarily in and of itself but it's something that isn't Jesus so I've had to repent I've had to come back to Jesus to recenter on him to refocus my eyes on his treasure. So when you have something in life that you're running after and that you find joy in, any cost associated with it, it just seems insignificant. If you're a musician, the hours of practice is nothing compared to the joy of mastering that instrument, playing that song, playing in that band, playing that concert. If you're an athlete playing sports or running or whatever it is you might do, the exercise, the diet, the training regime, whatever you might do, It's worth the joy of running that distance, of beating that time, scoring those goals, winning that match, or maybe closing those rings or getting your steps in. 
my wife laughs at me because there's been many times I've said, I've got to do a couple more minutes exercise, a couple more minutes of jumping jacks right before bed, just to get the little pixelated image of a trophy <laughs> that pops up on my watch that no one else sees apart from me. <laughs> but for me, it was worth it in those moments. And so it is with Jesus. His joy, his treasure makes any cost for following him worth it. When we've met with him, the joy of our salvation, the joy in him means that everything else pales in significance to the treasure. A little history lesson here for a moment, if you would. In the 1700s, there was a group of Christians in Western Europe in what is now Germany and the Czech Republic, known as the Moravians. The Moravians were passionate about the gospel and they spread it all over the world, going from Central Europe to Greenland to Alaska to South Africa, to Labrador, and many other places. They spread the gospel and created a model for missionaries that even today people look back at and they learn from, which is even more amazing given that back then there was no frequent flyer miles, no Southwest Airlines, but they spent weeks, weeks at a time on a boat just to get from one place to the next. And the reason they did this, they learned that the secret of loving the souls of men and women was found in loving Jesus the joy they had in Jesus was worth spreading the joy to everyone in the world. But it doesn't just stop there. In October 1732, a Dutch ship left the Copenhagen Harbor, bound for the Caribbean island of St. Thomas with two Moravian missionaries on board. These missionaries were going to St. Thomas in order to minister and share the gospel to the slaves on the island. But they'd found the only way they could get access to this island, the only way they could be among the slaves there, was to sell themselves into slavery. They couldn't bear the fact that people over there would never hear the gospel. They'd never get to experience the same joy that they themselves had found. So for selling themselves into slavery to share the gospel with those that would otherwise never hear, it seemed like nothing to them. As their friends and family watched them sail away and be shipped off, they shouted back, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his suffering. They were so captivated by the joy of knowing Jesus and by others knowing Jesus, that the cost required really wasn't a cost and it meant only gain. Jim Elliott was an American missionary in the 1950s to the Ecuadorians, to the tribes that lived in the rainforest. He ultimately gave his life for the sake of the gospel and he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he realized that the treasure he had was so, so valuable and worth sharing with everyone else that nothing mattered anymore. So we don't have to, and nor can we buy our way into heaven. We can't earn it, but we need to prize the kingdom of heaven more than we prize anything else. It needs to be first in our hearts. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. That needs to be our priority and our number one thing. Someone described the man who found the pearl by saying, it restructured his priorities. It altered his goals. His values changed and the treasure revolutionized the man. Everything he counted, everything he held dear before paled into insignificance. And when we encounter Jesus and really see him, really see the kingdom, it makes us realize that in this light, in the light of the treasure, nothing is important anymore. And now renouncing all and realizing that Jesus has to be our number one thing, that doesn't necessarily mean giving everything up. It doesn't mean selling ourselves into slavery. But what it does mean 
is that everything we have is totally at Jesus' disposal for his purposes, for his glory, and that it must never get in the way of radical obedience to his love for us and the things he's called us to. So while Jesus uses the example of money in these parables, the truth is there can be so many things that we are holding on to but need to count as nothing to experience the fullness of the joy of Christ. And like I said, these things don't have to be bad things. It can be things like moving house, changing careers, jobs, comfort, personal preferences or selfishness, money, time, even somewhat simple things like routines and schedules. They all need to be laid at the foot of the cross for the sake of Jesus. Our treasure needs to be found in him, in the kingdom of heaven and not in those things. And there are so many testimonies of people in this church who after experiencing the joy from Jesus, they made decisions to live from him that resulted in this radical life change. It can be things like where they live, things like where their children go to school, things like decisions to foster, to adopt, to open up their homes to others, things like decisions to say no to career opportunities because that's not where God's calling them. Some of these things may even seem foolish to people around them. You you don't want to take this job. You don't want to move to this place. You don't want to do this or do that. But these decisions were rooted in the joy of the gospel and with their gaze fixed on the treasure and the pearl, the treasure of Jesus. Do, Do we see it? Do we see that Jesus is better than anything else that we can have? Do we actually see it? Do we see that the treasure is truly the treasure? Do we see the pearl is truly the pearl like no other? Let me ask this question. What would it look like if we lived our lives with the joy of knowing Jesus, the treasure and the pearl? I think John mentioned it as well. Our our priorities would be different. Our desires would be different. Our worries would be released. Our church would be a church that passionately pursues Jesus and others knowing him. Our communities around us would be transformed and our city would be radically changed with the joy of Jesus. Mary, in John 12, at the feet of Jesus, she had one thing, one thing of value that she brought to the feet of Jesus and she poured it out. without a second thought. This jar full of fragrant perfume that was worth her entire year wage, she poured it out. And my question to you is, what is your alabaster jar? What are you holding? What do you have that's sitting in this jar that takes the place of of Jesus? What do you have that is in this jar? Could it be a relationship? 
Could it, could it be the career or the promotion at work? Or I just want to make this certain amount of money so I can have this. Or could it be the school that you want to get into? Could it be your kids? Could it be, honestly, could it be your comfort? And maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't, I, I don't know what that is for me. But as I'm talking, you have anxiety or worry about something. May I just say that that's probably what it is. What this anxiety and worry that you're experiencing in this moment is what is sitting in your jar. The farmer and the merchant and Mary, they encountered the treasure. They encountered the pearl. And maybe you're here today and just like the farmer, you haven't been searching. You've just been doing the stuff. And may I say to you today that the treasure is here for you. The treasure is available and maybe you're like the merchant and you have been searching for something of value. The pearl is here today and available. Maybe you've experienced the joy of knowing Jesus and you've taken that treasure or that pearl and you've put it up on a shelf and you've actually lost sight of the fact of the joy of knowing Jesus. And I would say to you today in Psalm 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The psalmist actually says to himself, come on, soul, don't forget the Lord. Don't forget what he's done. Pick up the treasure. Know the treasure. So all of us today, the call to all of us is we're all sitting here with that jar, with something there. And the call to us is to kneel at the feet of Jesus and to pour it out. Kneel at the feet of Jesus and pour it out. I would love for us to stand if you're able. Um, we're going to take some time to respond to this. Think, like I said, you, you could be here and you weren't searching and Jesus is here. He's available. Maybe you have been searching for something of value and Jesus is here. He's the pearl. He's available and maybe you have put this joy on a shelf, this treasure on a shelf, and you feel Jesus calling you to take it down. We all have the jar. We all have something that God wants us to pour it out at his feet. I think I didn't mention this about the story of Mary. It's helpful though. The disciples actually said she was foolish for pouring out this valuable, valuable perfume. And they said, oh, we should have sold it to, so we can have money for the ministry. Um, let me just tell you, as she poured it out, the fragrance of the perfume filled the room. 
So it wasn't, it wasn't all for naught because she's demonstrating something that all of us want as we pour out our alabaster jar of whatever it is. Others will look at us and say, this is foolish. You shouldn't do that. But as we do, there is a sweet, sweet aroma that fills the room. That others will see. That others will, in a moment, say, oh, that's foolish. But then they say, what would bring you to that point? Can I say it again? It's the treasure. And it's the pearl. It's Jesus. So I want to invite community group leaders forward to begin to pray. I'd encourage you, as we play this song, there is an opportunity for us to respond to the one who is the treasure and the, and, the, and the pearl and pour out whatever it is before him. We have an opportunity today. So as we sing, please come.